Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of this conversation that we get to have. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me is my brother, my teammate, Paul Jobson. Paul, are you excited about today? Oh, man, I really am excited about our guest today. It's a, it's a blast from the past for me because it reconnects my my youth days of someone I used to, to, to watch as a coach, or he was a coach, I was just a kid. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to jump in here. Another great guest that has an amazing career that we all can learn a lot from. And so yeah, I'm stoked, man. So that guest is Keith Tozer. Keith does have quite a, an illustrious career. You know, we've been fortunate to be able to interview some pretty amazing people on this, on this show, and uh, Keith is no exception to that. We're going to get into all the, the bio that he's got, but how you doing, Keith? I'm doing great, thank you. And, and Paul, don't tell me you were three years old when you came to that Atlanta Attack game. <laughs> no, I was a little older, probably. Let's say, let's say twelve. Let's say okay. 12. I feel better than okay. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be on the show, and I love leadership. I'm glad we're going to talk about that. It's it's uh, a big part of my life, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, fantastic. Well, you know, we always like to just start with briefly sharing your story. Now, like I said, you have you have an extensive career and some of the things that you can say that nobody else, well, one of the things you can say that nobody else in the world can say, you were the, the first pick of the MISL draft. That is something that one person in the world can say. That's pretty cool. But to be able to play indoor soccer in several Hall of Fames, all-time winning as coach in North America, but indoor soccer, that is, indoor soccer history, over 700 wins, U.S. futsal national team coach, and you're doing all kinds of stuff. But how can you just share your story, and you know, including how you developed your passion for soccer, for coaching, for leadership, as you just did, and and now you're the commissioner of the MASL, Major Arena Soccer League, and how how did that all of that come about? Yeah, I kind of fell into soccer, really, like any typical young male in in our country. I played baseball, hockey, football. I ran track. I think I played all the sports other than basketball, but we did play pickup basketball. My brother, Tom, came home with a soccer ball one day, and I, I think I was like a freshman in high school, maybe going into high school. We started kicking around, and it was pretty cool because it was something that, you know, we could play 1v1 or, or train on our own. I went off for the high school team. Quick, quick flash forward, I was the leading goal scorer for all four years of my high school. In my junior year of high school, a guy named Francisco Marcos who's a very famous soccer guy here in the United States and in Portugal. He asked me to go to a, a U.S. tournament, play for a U.S. team. I went to Oneonta. We played at Hartwick College, USA, Scotland, England, France. I fell in love with the town. I tried to go to Hartwick College. I couldn't. But Oneonta State, which is really right across the street, they wanted me to go. So I ended up in Oneonta. Halfway through my senior year, I was getting ready to get drafted in the NASL. I got a call from Keith Von Aaron, who went to Hartwick across the street and said, by the way, you were just picked number one in the MISL draft by Pete Rose and the Cincinnati kids. And I was like, what the heck is the MISL? No one ever heard of it. And three weeks later, I'm in Cincinnati meeting with Pete Rose and the other owners, signed a contract, left college, played that first year, went back to college, got my degree and went back to indoor and here I am. That that's pretty cool. I mean, Pete Rose, notwithstanding, the rest of it's really cool too. That, that that's pretty that's pretty amazing that he. I didn't realize he was the involved with that at all. And and I did know that the the names of the MISL teams. You know, that's something that yep. that is is quite fun. The kids, which is is kind of funny. But then you have the the Pennsylvania Stoners and the Hartford Hellion. You know, those are things that I think probably meant something different back then. But but to Pete, that, that that's that's Stoners just, were great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I think that. I think the seventies that had to be a double entendre. I don't know. I mean, that well, that the uh, license plate get high with the stoners did not go well with the parents, so that didn't last long. So, <laughs> what was but that? You know, you know what's funny? Two years trivia question. Two former NFL place kickers played on that team that year. One really? was Bar, yeah, who, who kicked at Penn State and then went on to the NFL, and then Florian Kemp, who kicked for Houston. So, oh wow. Wow, that is that That's is cool. quite a bit of trivia. That may come up someday. You never know. You could yeah. you could hit that, Paul, if you ever go to trivia night. Hey, listen, people should listen to this podcast. Some of these questions could be on Jeopardy one day, and if you're on yeah. Jeopardy and that comes up, 
we're going to take credit for educating everybody. But I, I had no idea that Pete Rose was involved in, in soccer. That's pretty, pretty cool. So yeah, he that kicked is cool. out the opening ball December 22nd, 1978 at Nassau Coliseum. It was pretty cool having him in the locker room and of course on the field. And obviously Shep Messing, who's our chairman of the mm-hmm. league, played for the Cosmos. And, you know, I used to go watch the Cosmos play and see Shep in goal. And then next thing you know, I'm on the same field playing against Shep and no one knew what indoor soccer was. It was pretty, pretty cool time. That is pretty cool. Another little bit of trivia, Paul. Did you, did you know that the Pennsylvania Stoners were the first American soccer team with a front of shirt sponsor? I knew that when I saw your notes and I believe yes. it was, was it Alpo? That, was that the it, dog food company? It, Alpo? It, it was, it was. Do you know how I, that came I, I did not know that. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that's another little fun fact for you out there, folks. And and the other fun fact I found is that that Keith, you have you have a bobblehead doll that that you can find on eBay right now. So, <laughs> folks, if you want a Keith Tozer bobblehead doll, you can go out and get it. I think one's one's there for I guess about twenty bucks. So you can you can get that right now. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing all the things that that you got going on, Keith. So that that last one I just said might impress some of the the younger ones more than anything else is that bobblehead that you actually have one. Well, I had a friend who ran the Hyatt Regency here in Milwaukee, and he actually was going to buy a thousand of them and put the Hyatt on top of my head. But <laughs> I made the team put a hat on so he couldn't do it. So that's why we have a hat. Yeah, I saw that. That was that. Was, I figured that had something to do with it. Yeah, but it did have. You know, it didn't have quite as sweet of a mustache on it as you had back in the '70s. But that mustache you had that you were sporting back then was pretty amazing. I'm not going to lie. But are there any lessons that you that you have from indoor soccer, from futsal, that a player might not be able to learn from outdoor soccer, or is it something that is just it's transitions and it's pretty much it's very similar? No, I'm a firm believer that futsal and indoor soccer are great development tools, games for the outdoor player. I I am convinced of it. I've been trying to tell people in our country for the last 25 years, you know, a month and a half ago, I'm in Lisbon. We're at their national training center, their outdoor, you know, and, and what do they have there? They have a futsal stadium, a futsal court, futsal program, and obviously Portugal is in the top 10 in the world for football. I was in Clairefontaine in France at their national training center. What do they have? Futsal at their national training center. I was in AFA in Buenos Aires for Argentina. The same thing. What do they have? I was in La Rosa in Spain. What do they have? Futsal. And the list can go on and on. And we don't have it here. And and meaning at the national training center, you know, from, from top to bottom or bottom to top. But I'm a firm believer that the game of futsal and indoor soccer can be the game changer for the outdoor program in our country. Ask Anson Durant at North Carolina, the women, he feels the same, as, as well as many others. Yeah, Coach, I'm, I'm going to call you Coach throughout this podcast. It's probably just yep. a natural thing, so if that's all right with you. That's fine. I've been um, called a lot of things, but I prefer Coach. I figure coaches are too bad. It's, 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 it's endearing for sure. But, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that as well. And I, I think I understand the benefits of that. Can you maybe for those who who aren't believers yet in that, can you explain a little bit why why you have that firm belief that it's such a great developmental tool for for the game overall as a whole? Well, all the best players in the world, they all have what in common? Great technique. Technical ability, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you take the game of outdoor soccer and shrink it down and put it on a basketball court, it's obvious that a child, a young player is going to touch the ball more. Take two eight-year-olds, take them to a driving range, golf. One hits 10 balls every day. The other one hits 500 balls every day. Who's going to be better most of the time at the end of the month, at the end of the year? So the technical ability, if you look at, the thought process, thinking ahead. All great players think ahead. They vision things happening. On a futsal court, you cannot get the ball, then think. It's too late. You got a defender on you. So on a basketball court, 94 by 54, a futsal court, you know, 120 feet by 65 feet, you must think ahead. If not, you're going to be in trouble. If you think of the physicality, here's a big thing too. In the NBA, in the middle 70s, what was the size of the average player? Maybe six four, six five. Now what's the size? Six eight, six nine. We have players that are almost seven feet 
I, I live in Milwaukee and Giannis here. That guy moves as if he's 5'11". Mm-hmm. So why? It's because they train on a small court and the physicality, mm-hmm. lateral, forward, diagonal, backwards, quickness, agility. You put all those things together, the thought process, the technical ability, the physicality, and, and you're now starting to develop players. Like the Corinthians in Brazil, their players play futsal two times a week. They play outdoor four times a week, and then they have matches on that, that other game. So they actually have, have put futsal into their program, and now Orlando and Major League Soccer is doing the same thing. So they, I, I'm a firm believer. Hey, by the way, yeah. what do we got to lose? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, if the top five countries in the world are doing it, why shouldn't we do it? To- yeah. Totally agree. And I, I, I mentioned I mentioned briefly that when I was in Atlanta, we were looking to start a league and I was running a, a youth organization. And that was part of our philosophy was I wanted to get kids more touches and I wanted to create a league. And I just I was a firm believer in, in that. I, I do believe that a futsal league has risen up in Atlanta. I mean, that was, gosh, 20-something years ago. But a firm believer in that. Everything that you just said, I think it's great just to get that that message out there. And as as leaders in the sport, when we're looking for things to do when it rains, why don't you have access to a basketball court? And, and sometimes facilities are hard to find, but that's always a great alternative is to get get inside, get on a hard surface, get on a concrete pad, you know, whatever whatever it is. It's not, it, it's not like we have to have all these amazing the fields all the time or whatnot. It gives you some alternatives to training as well that, uh, that I find to be beneficial. I, I, I joke respectfully when I travel the world and, and say that the United States has more futsal courts than any other country in the world because every <laughs> junior high, high school, college, university, not only have one gym, some have multiple gyms, mm-hmm. four, six, eight, and 10. We have parking lots. We, I mean, yep. if Tennis courts that are underutilized can be used and everything. I got a trivia question for you. Well, not trivia question. Who do you think of the top three U.S. players right now on the national team? Pulisic, Adams, McKinney, maybe. Okay. Pulisic, you throw him in there? Yeah, that's what I said. Pulisic, Adams, McKinney. Yeah. Do you know the story with Christian Pulisic? Christian grew up with the indoor game. His father played for the Harrisburg Heat in the National Professional Soccer League. And when his father got the head coaching job with Detroit, they had five Brazilian players, Ricardinho, Everton, just to name a few. Christian would play futsal and indoor soccer, seven, eight, nine, ten year, you know, when he was 10 in, in Detroit. So his game, a lot of it came because he played small sided games, which mm. is indoor and futsal. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And I can uh, tell I, you on the the some of the best players in in our area when you watch them play you're like man they are just incredible with their technique and and then you find out they're on the you know playing in the national pool for futsal and they're really involved with the futsal and it's like yeah it's no it shouldn't be a secret. It shouldn't be something that's a that's an exception to the rule. I agree. It should be absolutely something we're something we're doing. Because a lot of kids will say, "Well, I play basketball because it makes my mental processing quicker. I'm quicker on the soccer field because I play basketball," which is true. But why not combine the two and say, "Let's play soccer and, and in a way that is similar to basketball in the mental processing, so you get the foot skills as well." So yeah, I totally totally agree. Yeah, and I I want to dive. We're gonna dive further into to futsal, indoor soccer, all those things. We kind of got ahead of ourselves because it's just extremely interesting. But I want to backtrack a little bit. And you're obviously extremely passionate about when I asked you to, to tell us, you know, you know, convert the, the the ones that aren't converted yet. You're very passionate about that, obviously. And it's been, I mean, I'm going to guess kind of a, a life mission at some point with, with what you've been doing for the game over over the years. But let's let's dig into it a little bit. Is Keith, can you tell us like why you do what you do? Do you have a personal why? Like what motivates you? What 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 pushes you to 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 do what you do on a daily basis? What, what's your personal why? I, I love. I, I used to love managing games. Well, I still do. I, I love coaching games, and that's a little bit different managing and coaching. Mm-hmm. But my passion is teaching. I think if I was a, a teacher in elementary or junior high or high school, I'd rather take an F and D student and try to make them a B student than take an yeah. A student and just maintaining them. I really, really fell in love with teaching. Then I think my legacy was, how can I make good great? And when you see young people, young men and women, all of a sudden the light turns on and they see 
that all the work they've done, the sacrifice, the, the, the hard work, the, the long hours, that all of a sudden it pays off, that to me is, is worth anything else in life. You know, I, I read some of your questions and when I was climbing up that ladder, right, to become successful, like most of us do in business, sports and in life, it was about really about me at that time, right? I, I needed to get there. I needed to get better. I needed to do this. When I finally figured out it wasn't about me, it was about us. I became a much different coach and I think a different person. And that really helped me kind of move the, the domino forward in, 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 a, in a positive direction. So I, I, I love teaching. I love helping people see something that maybe they always wanted to get to, but couldn't get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that Paul and I are, we, we, we are similarly wired. That's something that I know really excites both of us and at the core of what we do. And on the note of teaching, right? And you've started this motivational company, Teamwork Concepts. I and mean, one of the things I saw as I was researching for this was one of my favorite analogies as well, which is exactly the, the, the if you couldn't see that, if you're just listening to this, folks, he did the V, the, the geese V formation. And so can you just teach that, share that? What, what is so powerful about that analogy? And, you know, why do you use it in your in your leadership training? Yeah, and I'm glad you said leadership training because I'm, I'm not so much a motivational speaker because motivational speakers kind of like cotton candy. You eat it, mm-hmm. take it for five minutes, and then you forget about it. I, I think when you go and speak to a group of people, you need to teach them tools because, you know, they come home from a speech and they go, honey, oh, I'm going to sell cars, I'm going to sell machines, I'm going to win games. And then Tuesday, it doesn't happen. All of a sudden, you lost your motivation. So, so what do you got? So why do I use the V formation? One is, and, and I talked to my 12-year-old daughter the other day, she's a volleyball player, and, and I use airline pilots kind of like the same thing. The geese have a destination where they need to get to, right? A pilot has a destination where he needs to get the passengers to. Well, once your destination is thought of, then you got to figure out your flight plan, how are you going to get there, right? You know, the, the geese will fly thousands of miles, and, and of course, the front geese get tired. And what happens to the front geese? The, the front geese, geese fall back and then other ones move forward and, and they fly in a V because I don't think they got together hundreds of years ago and looked at the alphabet and let's do B or let's do D or Z. They figured just V would break the wind in order for them to fly much more efficient to get where they need to go. I, I love the analogy that people fall back and other people fall forward because you must make people feel like they're part of the solution and not always part of the problem. So if you're a leader on a, on a team, if you're a leader in a company, you, you must let other people lead. It, it will make them feel like that they're part of the solution. So I love that. I love the fact of the honking, you know, the, the, the honking, what is that? That's communication, right? And it's proven that yes, money can move, Houses can move people, whatever can move people. But still today, telling someone, Philip, Paul, it's great you're on my team. You've done an awesome job. How's the family? Communication on a team, going to a destination, I, I think is extremely important. I, I don't know if you know this, but when when one geese gets sick or, or gets hurt and falls to the ground, do you know how many geese follow? I'm going to guess all of them. A couple no, of them. Two, yeah, two, two geese will come and, and, and stay with that geese until it passes away or gets better. And then they try to find that flock or another, they find another flock. What's the analogy with people staying behind? Like if you're a sports team and the teammates having a bad day, are you the kind of person that's just going to walk past them? If someone's having a bad day in the front office of a company, they feel sick, they're in a car accident, somebody in their family is ill, are, are you going to stop by their desk and stay with them and make them feel like, you know, it's okay, we'll get through this together? So I think if you take that analogy of the geese, you know, the communication, the leadership, the falling back, the moving forward, I love it. And, and I use it sometimes when I do my talks. 
Yeah, it's definitely one that we've used as well. And I, I love, I had learned stuff as I was researching this from, from the, the different applications that you brought out of it as well. And that last one is one of them too, is, is to have, you know, a couple stay back, not all of them, because you still have that mission. You still got to move forward toward the goal, yep. but you have those couple that to make sure. And, and it's, it's not, I imagine at the time, it's not like they say at the beginning, Hey, you guys are the two. It's just two go. And then the rest keep going and they say, okay, they got it taken care of. Now we can go because they have it taken care of. And that, that goes to roles on teams. That goes to so many things. We could go on and on. We don't have time to go as deep as we want to on that, on that geese V formation. We could take the entire time on that, but uh, that's something that I, I love as well. So I'm, I'm glad that, that you use that too. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for sharing that in this podcast and definitely encourage folks to go in and uh, dig more into, into what you're doing from a leadership training standpoint. There's some great stuff in there for sure. Coach, you know, you had a, a great playing career. Give, give us, I'm sure there are a ton of moments you probably could look back on that were maybe defining moments, but pick one or two just defining moments as a player for us. And what impact did it have on you and how did it kind of impact how you thought as a, now as, as a coach and as a, as a leader? Yeah, I, I think when I turned pro, that was a big moment for me because remember I said, I, I didn't start playing soccer till I was 12, went to college when I was 17 or 18, turned pro when I was 21. You know, it was kind of like a fast, you know, movement forward. When I turned pro, I was like, wow, you know, I, I never knew about pro soccer. I'm now playing pro. And then I decided I, I have to get good at this. And how can I get good at this? I wasn't a big time technical player. My, my, my skill set was probably my physicality. So my goal was I'm going to try to get as fit as I possibly can. And that would keep me to the forefront. And then I figured out that I'm not going to be the best player in this team, but if I could be one of the most popular players on this team, then maybe they might not get rid of me as easy. So every time there was personal appearances, I would raise my hand and said, I would do it. So I started doing personal appearances in every team that I played for. A couple of times I was voted, you know, again, not the best player, but the most popular player. And it wasn't an ego thing. It was just like, I don't want to get fired. But if I'm popular, then maybe, you know, that might work. So, and through that, I met business people. And from that, I became a player coach. And then obviously into coaching. I always tell young players now in the major arena soccer league and anywhere else is get into the community, give back, do the appearances, promote the game. And, and as we know, it's a lot about who you know, as much as what you know, and if you can then filter that into the community, then you're going to be a better all around person. So that's what I kind of did. And it kind of helped me out. Yeah, folks, go go back in to listen to that again, because there's a lot of great leadership pieces in there. Have, having worked in the office of a pro team and having to, to, to negotiate deals with the community in the front office, we would fight for the players that were willing to do appearances, whether they were the best players or not. You needed people to go out into the community. But I think there's also a bigger lesson there of you know, what is, what is your role within a team? You know, and there's a lot of different roles, whether you're on the field or off the field, there are a lot of roles to fill. And there's some great, great lessons in there. And, and you touched a little bit on the overlap you had of being a player, player manager. And that's always been really intriguing to me of, of folks that have been able to do that. There are a number of, especially in the, I think in the indoor league, I think you probably saw it maybe more than, than outdoor, but that overlap of that player manager. And how do you, how do you manage that? I remember being a young coach collegiately right out of college, helping my, being an assistant a little bit older than the players, maybe the same age as some of the players on the team. I wasn't the head coach, so there was some buffer there. But I've always been intrigued in how you how you did that, because you're I mean, if you're changing lines, I mean, you're subbing yourself in and out, <laughs> you know, so yeah. there's some dynamics there that we don't understand. Tell us a little bit how you how you manage that and how leadership changes from maybe being captain or a leader of a team to being a manager player. How does that work? Yeah, let me touch on something real quick and I get to that because you brought up roles. There was many times where either my roommate would come in into where we're living or into a training facility and they got cut or trade, traded. And I remember all those players saying, you know, if they would have just told me what my role in this team was or what my responsibilities were on the team, then maybe I'd have had a better shot of being here. So I early on in my coaching career, I started figuring out I need to tell my teammates or my players what their role on the team is at the beginning of the year, what their goal is, and we would do that together, and what their responsibilities are. And obviously, you know, with, with that comes reward and consequences, right? So we meet before the year, what their role is, what their goal is, what their responsibility. 
halfway through the season, we would meet again and kind of like the geese, you know, sometimes, you know, like the geese or, or a pilot, turbulence comes, right? You got to change course. You got to go in a different direction. Halfway through the season, we say, okay, have you reached your goal? Do you know what your role is? What's your responsibility? And then at the end of the year, we would do that again. So when, when I became a player coach in Louisville, again, remember what I said, I needed to be the fittest guy in the team. I, I needed to lead by that way. I wasn't going to lead by scoring goals. I wasn't going to lead by saving goals. But if I could be the fittest or one of the fittest guys in the team, then I, I think I could set an example. I was fortunate enough to have Zorn Savick, who's assistant coach for mm. Sporting KC now. I had Jimmy Cabrera, who went on with the outdoor national team. All three of us, we all had different qualities. We helped push each other, become fitter in different areas. That fitness helped me elevate our team in times that we needed it. Was it a tackle? Was it a hard run forward? Was it something like that? And then I started deciding that, you know, transfer of a tendency from one generation to another. I was kind of like some of my older coaches. It was more my way than your way. And when we started figuring out it is our way and not my way. So early on as a player coach, concentrating on playing, but at the same time trying to figure out okay, what is this coaching thing all about? Because I never knew I was going to be a coach. I, I went there because I have a business degree out of Oneonta State. And I figured I could play and also be in the front office and learn stuff. So when I get done playing, I have something to fall back on. That was my reason for coming, becoming a player coach. Next thing you know, we were in the finals that first year. We lost, but we were in the finals. Next thing you know, we were in the finals the second year. We lost, but we were in the finals. Halfway through the third year, my agent calls me and says, hey, by the way, they just let go of the L.A. Lasers coach. The Jerry Buss owns the team. You should go out for an interview. And I go, I'm 27 years old. There's no way. I am just started coaching. Long story short, I flew out there. I interviewed with a bunch of other guys. I got the job. And next thing you know, I'm in Los Angeles with the Buss family. So it was kind of, remember, 12 years old, to college, to pros, player coach, to Los Angeles with the bus family, and then now commissioner. I guess it's circle of life. Yeah, that's one of the, the fun things about this podcast is everybody's coaching journey is different. And I think that's important for, for young aspiring coaches to figure out there's not one way to, to, to get through that. Can you, can you dive into a little bit more of just kind of the dynamics of, of being that, that player coach? I mean, I'm looking at some stats, whether they're true, whether they're accurate or not. When you're in Louisville, that first opportunity to do that, you're there three years and you had the most amount of goals in, in that time uh, in Louisville. Is that because you were designing plays for yourself to score or you, you moved yourself from a back to a forward? Like, no, I'm joking about that, that but it, there are more goals in Louisville than anywhere else. So there's got to be some kind of thing there when you're coaching and playing, but hit, hit the dynamics of being that, 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 that player coach. Well, I, I, I was a little bit more at ease as a player, even though I had the responsibility as of wins and losses. I was a little bit more eased as a player because I I was I didn't worry about getting cut or or playing bad. I knew I was going to play all the time. I was extremely unfortunate, fortunate to play with players like Chris Hellenkamp and Michael Fall and and Zoran Savic and Said Bakhtiari and Jimmy Cabrera and the list of that that team was so gifted and so many of those guys have gone on now to coach in MLS or or in college. So, you know, it was a younger league, a little, I think those teams would have won, Canton and our team would have won games in the MISL, but I think I just had a little bit more time in the court and a little bit more responsibility, but I surely learned a lot from Louisville. And then when I went to Los Angeles to be around Pat Riley and Magic Johnson and Jim Buss and Jerry Buss and, and Wayne Kretzky and the hockey side and my office is right there and I'm traveling with Jim and Jerry and, and I'm, I mean, think about, it. I, I was thrown into, you know, coaching one-on-one right away. It was great. Yeah. That's really cool. Can you go into that a little bit more? I know that I, I took over a, a small nonprofit when I was 34. You just said you took over a major indoor soccer league team with Jerry Buss and being in the same building as the Lakers and the, and the Kings. And, you know, that's, a, that's a bit different profile. And you said you were 27. Yeah. Um, 
can you speak to that for, for young leaders out there who think, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. The, the fact is they probably don't at any level, but how did you take advantage of that, that the mentors that you had there, how did you, I mean, probably part of it was just by accident, but just because you were 27, but how did you intentionally seek that out and be able to have those mentors pour into you rather than just osmosis as you're, as you're, you know, I'm making some assumptions there, but can you speak to that as a young leader, how you can grow in that leadership, knowing and being, you know, kind of have that humility to know you don't know everything, but also move forward saying, I can learn it. Passion I had. And, and I think all great coaches or great leaders or great business people have passion. I, I was an extremely hard worker and I was a learner. I, I was thirsty for information. So next thing you know, I'm in the LA forum. You got Pat Riley, you got Magic Johnson, you got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I, I, I t- tremendous amount of respect for Jim Bus, his son who brought me to Los Angeles, who's a really great sports mind. And, and somehow Jerry and I just kind of clicked. And, and I remember getting on an airplane in the first month I was there, he, he, secretary came down and said, Jerry wants you to go with Jim to Denver for the Laker game. And I go, look, I just took over the team. And I think Jerry said, Hey, by the way, you know, you're going to go. So we, we would just sit and talk about sports and management and leadership. So then I would come out of my office and I would sit and watch Showtime. So if you know what Showtime is, mm-hmm. the Lakers would do patterns with no defenders for time after time after time after time. That's where I started doing patterns. And then I would go watch Kretzky, you know, train the next day at the forum. And, and I would ask coaches and I would ask players and sit down with Jim and Jerry. I, I was a sponge. I, I needed to learn as much as I could. And again, it's not so much how you know about the sport. It's how you treat people in business, I think, is what really makes people successful. Then, then here's the thing that I don't think we teach enough in the United States when it comes to coaching soccer. Public speaking, for some reason, I felt very comfortable in. And now remember, 20 minutes ago, I said I would do all the appearances. Well, when you do appearances, what do you have to do? You have to get up in front of a lot of people and you have to speak. I became comfortable in that. And, and when I went to interview, I felt comfortable with Jim and Jerry Buss that I could talk and, and kind of give out my ideas. So the more I did that, the more I'd learned the passion and the hard work. And I was able to communicate what I thought was in here to what was out there. I think that's the key. I know a lot of coaches who are brilliant minds, but they don't have the communication skills. And I know other coaches who don't have all the X's and O's, but they're such great communicators. You think they're great at, at X's and O's. So when you when you put all that together and that passion, the desire and wanting to learn, and I still am dying to learn. I just, like I said, came back from Portugal and I learned a bunch more. I, I think that's what makes coaches. And, and sports is no different than business. Okay. You have a product and you have a service. Okay. You got to get people on your team. You got to move them. You got to make adjustments. You know, the first quarter you're not selling. Someone's not pulling their weight. They're not falling back. You got it. So I think people who are successful in sports can be great in the business world. Yeah. There's so much good stuff right there. Like, if you're a young leader or an old leader, listen to that. Leaders are learners and leaders are perpetual learners and we can never, ever stop learning. And that's, I mean, that is so good and so important. And, you know, ask for the, ask the people around you. If you respect someone as a leader, ask them for advice, sit down with them, take them to lunch, take them to coffee and just, just learn, just learn from them. And yeah, I, I learned, I learned, you know, how to manage up. So how, mm. how do you manage your boss? and yeah. how to manage lateral and, and how to manage people below. We started off as season one and seven, and I took all my coaches, my two assistants, into a hotel room in Kansas City. I said, guys, we've got to come up with a game plan, physical, tactical, technical, psychological. I called the owner up before I got into Milwaukee, and I said, hey, guys, I'd like to have a meeting with you. You know what they said? We were thinking the same thing. Hmm. So, so we mapped out and we said to the owners, this is what we're going to do. Then we went to the team and said, this is what we're going to do. And we had the best record in the league that year and won another champion. Wow. Managing up. 
That is so good. We talk about that sometimes with, with different people that throughout is that leading from the middle, but that idea of being the, the top on your team, but realizing that there's always someone that's going to be above you, whether it's a board, whether it's the owners, whether it's somebody else. So to realize that, that, you know, you have resources to see them as resources and not as your enemy or not as your competitor is Great a point. huge part of it. Huge yep. part of it. All right, let, let's move on to the next thing we want to talk about. You have coached and, and played with a lot of great players, just a lot of great people, leaders over the course of your career, you know, and, and it's, it's spanned six decades at this point, which is, which is, which is crazy. And I, I just love to hear from you. Are there one or two players that, are, that were the best leaders that you played with or coached and kind of what set them apart? Oh, my God. I've been blessed with so many great players and, and so many led in so many different ways. We, we had a player in Milwaukee, Michael King. He was the all-time leading goal scorer for the Milwaukee Wave, English guy. He led through his physicality. He led because he scored goals. He led because of his personality. He led because he had that innate ability. But he came to me one time and he said, I can't be the captain anymore. And I said, why is that, Michael? And he goes, I'm not the leading scorer anymore. And I go, Michael, you don't have that captain band because you're the leading goal scorer. You have that captain band because of all the qualities that I had just mentioned. So you are going to remain a captain. I, I thought he was a great captain. Victor Nagara, who I feel is one of the best goalkeepers in the history of indoor soccer, played 10 years of the Milwaukee Wave, won four championships and then bunch with the San Diego soccer. He led in a different way. He was a quiet leader, at least when he played. He helped me immensely and other players because I, I'm, I'm, I wear my emotions on the outside. I, I, I come into a practice and I know I tell kids with my voice, look at I'm a I'm a teddy bear inside a grizzly bear outfit. Don't get scared of my voice. OK, I, I bring passion and I, that's my responsibility. Right. As a leader, Victor, he gave me a bunch of books. And they were motivational books. They were like Zen books. And that wasn't part of my repertoire. And you know what? I got involved in that. Next thing you know, I started reading all these books, right? Phil Jackson's book, Pat Riley's book, Zen book, that book. You know, Anthony Robbins, I started pouring into. Victor helped me so much with that as a leader. And he did that with his teammates too. So, so, so there, there are so many different kinds of leaders. There is a quiet leader in Victor. There is a vocal leader in Michael King, and they still move players in a positive direction. Those are just two of many players that I had the utmost respect for because I had so many of them. But those, those are two that come to the forefront. Yeah, and the thing I love about that is that you talk about the different types of leadership because so many people think of leadership as the one, the person who's the loudest, who's out there, who's doing the motivational pep talk, whatever. There's so many different ways to lead, and I, I love that you touched on that. And I and I yeah. try to do that myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't be predictable as a leader, right? Sometimes you got to be quiet. Sometimes it's not so much what you you know, it, it's what you say. You got to be careful with, right? But you got to be quiet. And sometimes leadership is difficult. Sometimes you got to do the difficult thing, not demean anybody. Okay. But sometimes you got to really, you know, set the tone that, okay, this wasn't good enough. And, and, and what we're going to do, get to know the people, get to know their kids, their, their, you know, their spouses. It, it, if you, that's the picture, the X's and O's are important, but that all that other stuff is what's really important. What? Mm -hmm. Once again, I love I love that coach. We we hear this time and time again. At some point in a conversation with a, a great coach and a great leader, we hear at some point, hey, the X's O's are important, but the most important thing is the people. So we'll go back and people will listen to that again. And that's just a common theme that again, for you know, all of us that are continuing to to learn, that can't be that can't be said enough. You know, mm -hmm. it is so so true. I'm a firm believer that you will you will get more out of the X's and O's if you can if you know your people. So I appreciate you you saying that. That's not that's not teed up on this podcast. We're gonna start thinking that we tee that up for everybody <laughs> because it's said oh. so often, but it's such an important piece, coach. And I appreciate you you saying that. With with that in with that in mind and the experience that you have, the people that you just mentioned, I'm sure you could go through probably a hundred more that have influenced 
what would you go back and tell your 25 or 27 year old self as you're getting into the game? What, what would you go back now with the experience and knowledge you have, what would you go back and tell that, that 25, 27 year old young Keith Tozer, who's, who's about to coach, about to start coaching and, and leading? It's, it's not about you. I, that, that was the turning point in my career that when I learned it wasn't remember, I'm trying, we, we all are right at a young age. We're all trying to climb that ladder. We got to be successful. We're spending less time with our family. We're, we're, we're doing more time at work. We're doing this and that. And when I figure that it's more about all of us winning than just me winning as a coach or me winning as a manager, that that made me better in those moments of the game that I needed to make a decision. Because when it was I, it was like, I was so nervous. It's like, do I call a timeout? I would get angry. I would do this and that. But when I was chill, when I, when I could make those calm judgments in the heat of the storm, swirling around, that's when I think things started turning around a little bit. I mean, throw futsal in there. I started traveling the world because, you know, indoor soccer, which has been the big part of my life. You can't, where do you learn indoor soccer? There's, there's no book. It's not at the coaches convention. It's only played really here in North America. You, you learn it by as most as by yourself. So I started learning that and traveling the world and putting futsal and indoor soccer together with some outdoor component. But then this, when I started to read and started to relax and, it wasn't about me. It was about us. Then that was good. If if I could go back and tell coaches that are listening right now, it's not about you. You'll get there. Okay. It's about all your players, all, all your employees, nurture them, teach them, motivate them. You'll get to where you want to get to. Yeah. It's so valuable. And I think that the, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I, I would, I would say, and let me know if you agree with this or, or not. I think when we're we're young and adventurous and we're trying to, like you said, climb that ladder, we think we have to we have to control every every moment. We have to only we can only rely on ourselves. But would you would you agree that the truth is by bringing those around you, you're probably going to get there faster? hundred percent. There's the geese again. Right. Yeah. Fall back. Let them go by you. Let them lead. I, I, do I have time to give you a quick story? Yep. Of course. We, we went undefeated at home, 22 and 0 at the Bradley Center. In a 44-game schedule, first team never do that. We played Cleveland in the first round of the playoffs. I would have bet we were going to lose the first game at the Bradley Center. It's sports. It's just numerically, right? What did we do the first game? We lost. I thought as a coach and my coaching staff that it was, wasn't was tactics. It was just, you know, numbers. And so we didn't really make any adjustments. We won game two. We went game three in Cleveland, got killed. I'm talking, we got killed kill right and we were like a college basketball team we high pressure you know we ran we forced we ran it out of orf and everything like that well we got killed the next day was going to be the, the, the you know that final game if cleveland wins they win the champ i came down to the lobby and you guys know what a shoot around is and right in basketball right or, mm -hmm. or soccer mm -hmm. morning of the game you go shoot around and everything so there's four vans outside the hotel. And normally all the players try to fit in the three vans and the coach staff stays in one, not because they don't like us. They, that's just how it is. I came outside the hotel and I told all the veterans to get into the van, my van. And when I went to get to the van, normally where the coaches or executives sit, they sit at the front. I got in the back of the van. So here I got 10 veterans, Michael King, Victor Nagaris, Stevie Morse, Michael Richardson. I mean, big time players. I'm sitting in the back of the van. We pull out and all of a sudden they go, hey, guys, hypothetically, if Art, my assistant coach, and I don't show up tonight, how are we going to play? And I could just sense through the back of their head, they're like, is he okay? I mean, was he out drinking last night? And I said, no, guys, really, <laughs> hypothetically, if we don't show up, how would you play? And all of a sudden, all these veterans said, coach, we can't pressure Otto anymore. They're getting numerical advantage. Zoran Carrick, Hector Marinara, they're killing us. Let's drop back. And I said, okay, how far back? Midfield? Farther back? They said, let's go all the way to the yellow line. I said, great. So we had this great conversation. Remember the geese, right? Let, let other people lead. Here's veterans creating their own game plan. Well, when we get to the arena, what do you think all the other players did? I could see him walk over to the veterans and go, hey, did you guys get yelled at? Hey, what's going on? So on, so on, right? So normally, a practice, the morning of the championship, is really kind of like, you know, to the T, right? Boom, boom, boom. You know what we did? 
We had a pickup game. I even brought the TV guys down and put them on a team. Why did I want to do that? I wanted to relax everybody. We had a pickup game for like 25 minutes. We came back to the hotel, got everybody in my room, explained what the game plan was. I went to each man. Do you understand the game plan? Yes. Do you believe in the game plan? Yes. What do you need to do now? Execute. I did that for all 16 players. But I found out that day, and I was young, that that was their game plan. They needed to execute that game plan, right? And not because not showing that the coaching staff was wrong, but we used the information that they gave us. Long story short, Otto started coming up the field. First yellow line, they weren't there. Midfield line, they weren't there. Bar yellow line, we were there. We won that game. And we came back in front of 18,500 and we won another championship. I learned so much from that because I listened to the people that were actually playing how they want to do it. It was great. That's gold right there. Yeah. Love it. 100%. Yes. So if you ever have a story and you say, do we have time? The answer is yes. So (laughs) 100%. That's so good. That's so good. Now, now you're the commissioner of the MASL. All right. So, you know, you've gone through, as you said, kind of the career. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily the circle of life for every, you know, coach, player. I, Paul, I don't think you're going to be the commission. Maybe you will. I don't know. Maybe that is the circle of, of life. Yeah, we'll see. You got never time. Never say never. You're still, you're the super young guy on this podcast. So, right. um, you know, you got tons of years, tons of years ahead of you. But as a commissioner, you know, what lessons learned directly from the game of soccer are you using? So that's, you know, that's what we talk about on this show is using the the game of soccer in your life and leadership and particularly of of different businesses you said soccer is business and as the commissioner of the league what are you using that you learn directly from the game well we're goal goal oriented so our goal in the first year with jp and chef was that we were going to take all the elements of the responsibility of the front office from a to z whatever those were and we needed to get better 25 percent of those I thought we did that. We talked about roles on the show, right? We we took we all went after the commissioner's job together. Okay? Three friends. JP became president of media. That was his bucket. Shep became chairman, business expansion. That was his bucket. Maybe I got the short list. I got the soccer side of it. But like the Supreme Court of 9 were 3 and we vote and communicate on everything. So now we know what our roles were. Then we had to figure out what our responsibilities were. Okay? Now Remember, I think this is true. You just don't learn. You just don't become a professional player. You must learn how to become a professional player. You don't become a professional coach. You must learn to become a professional coach. I even think owners need to learn how it is to be a professional owner in a sport, which is a lot different sometimes than actually in a business, even though we said that business acumen crossover. Commissioners need to learn how to become commissioner. Mm-hmm. I have learned so much in the last year and a half in so many different areas, but some of the things that I learned as a player first and as a coach second, stay in the pocket, right? Don't get stressed out, be goal oriented, make adjustments, listen. I think that's the biggest thing. Think about this, this role. It's kind of interesting, commissioner role. You got to tell individuals, who are used to having it their own way in their own companies, what to do. And if they don't do it, then there's consequences. And then at the end of the month, you got to wait for your paycheck to come. So it's kind of an interesting balancing act. You throw in emotions, you throw in guys who have egos and they want to win both in business and also on the field. There's a lot of juggling. There's a lot of movement going on. So, so many things that, I brought from the game of soccer, I brought into this role and still learning moving forward. That's good stuff. Yeah. I, let's, uh, let's transition a little bit. I'd love to get your, your insights. We, we've asked this question and uh, just your, from some different folks, but your experience over the years, having been in the game, I, I'd love to hear kind of your opinion on 
things that, that you think are going really well in the game of soccer in the United States. And of course, you're you're a global soccer guy. You've just you've talked about how much you've traveled the world seeing the game. And I'd love to hear your opinion on where do you think we are? What are the good things that are going on with U.S. in the, with the game of soccer in in the U.S. from the youth levels all the way up to professional? And what are some things you think we can do better? And thirdly, how how is the how is the MASL helping along the path that you think we need to to go to move the game forward in our country? Yeah, I think soccer right now in our country, even though my mom told me in 1970, this is the perfect time to get into the game. I, I think now in 2023, we're doing wonderful things in all areas of the youth of the college game. And obviously, Major League Soccer and USL, they, they have done fabulous. And, and then, of course, the Major Arena Soccer League international team. If you look at the women's game, we always have great athletes in the women's game. And we have wonderful soccer players and we have extraordinary coaches. I mean, our women's game is so bright. Love watching it. I I think uh, they just have done a a wonderful job. With the men program, I think we do a wonderful job up into the age of about 14 and 15. At 14 and 15, I think that's where the break goes. You know, yes, we have MLS next now, which now players are not playing in high school, but If you think of the player at 14, 15, and 16 who's with Man United or Corinthians or some other pro team, they're they're playing 80, 90, 100 games a year, and they're playing A games, right? A games are the games that push you to make you become better. How many of those games do our players play at that, that age? But we're getting better. I really think that if we infuse futsal and indoor soccer into our youth players starting at six, to 12. As part of the outdoor program, I would say in a very short period of time, you would see what you see in all the other countries, by the way. And, and you know, we, we wanted to get soccer into the inner city, but you don't have outdoor fields because you don't have space. You're not going to get 22 players to play. But what do you have in the inner city? You have basketball courts. You have small spaces. I mean, what a perfect way to get small-sided games into the inner city to get everyone involved in the game. I think when we do that, we'll leap forward. I think indoor soccer has gotten a bad rap in the last 10 or 15 years because some people have said that's the game with the boards. It's a parachute. It's it that's not going to help you. It's all about coaching. Like when I would train our team, Phil, if you went to pass the ball and you missed them and it hit the board, I would blow the whistle and I then would say it's a kick in. And even though Paul got it back, the players get mad and go, what are you doing, coach? Paul got it back. I'm like, in outdoor soccer, that's a throw. In futsal, that's a kick in. Phil, if you want to pass the ball, get it to his feet. Now, at the ends, we're using the, the boards for scoring goals. That's different. You're trying to play balls off. So if you're coaching indoor soccer the correct way, it's developing. By the way, a lot of my ex-players or people I know in Major League Soccer they all say, I wish our players would go play indoor soccer for one year. Why? Because it teaches them how to defend by yourself, teaches how to defend with a pair, and teaches them how to defend with the group. Then when you go back outdoor soccer, you're going to be a better player. So the first thing that Shep, JP, and I felt is that we needed to get indoor soccer back into the conversation of soccer here in North America. We went to the coaches convention two years ago. We were back at it this year. We were doing a college draft, which the league has never done. We did a player combine, first time ever in the MASL. We we're talking to outdoor people. And, you know, I mean, JP and Shep, they're iconic, right? Everybody knows them. They, they brought some limelight to indoor soccer. Not to say that it wasn't there before, but having those two gentlemen, I really think People said, Shep Messing's back in indoor, JP's back in indoor. I, I think that really helps. So you, you put all that together. I think we've made some wonderful strides in two years. We're learning, we're moving, and we're very positive and very enthusiastic. Hope I answered yeah. your question. Yeah, for sure. You, you, of course, you mentioned the other two, but you you make the perfect trifecta for that group. You know, you've got a, a great a great reputation in the game as a whole and then specifically into the, the futsal and indoor piece as well. So you guys are a perfect trifecta. And I remember being at that convention two years ago and, and seeing that and being excited about what what was pushing forward. So to be another 
I guess, two years out now and see where it's going. It, it truly is exciting. There's definitely a place in our country for definitely for futsal, but definitely for indoor soccer. I would say I grew up watching it in Atlanta. I have a lot of friends who played in the indoor professional leagues. It's just such a great, great sport. And even up north, the winter training and those, those indoor courts mm-hmm. are, can be, like you said, teaching of defending and the physicality of the game. There's just great, great things there, but you know, there's some some great pieces there and definitely a great trifecta of leaders pushing this thing forward. I'm excited to see, see where it goes. You know, you talked about, you know, where soccer is, we have so many wonderful young players in our league, the MASL, Stinson out in Empire. You know, you had Craig Child who starred for the national team, Ian Bennon in Milwaukee. I mean, there's so many players that are some great players and great coaches. One thing I'm really I'm really proud of. I think seven or eight out of the 14 teams are my ex-players, which mm-hmm. I'm really proud to see that either on the national team or played with me with the Milwaukee Wave or some some other indoor. But the future is bright for the major arena soccer league. Yeah, and I, I think every I think every coach out there right now should be listening to this interview and to, to be able to hear what you just talked about the 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 value as you said I think I, I I agree I think indoor soccer has gotten a bad rap I remember being a ball boy I was talking to JP about this being a ball boy for the California Surf back in the day and, and I don't know like did the NASL have an indoor league I don't I didn't I was a, a little kid but I was a ball boy and I loved watching those games at the Anaheim Convention Center pulling up. And I'll never forget it. I can, I can picture it now, you know. And, and those are things that for kids to see, again, it's so much faster. It's so, you got to think so much quicker. I love that, being able to teach it as effectively like a futsal, you know, to say, look, you know, don't hit the boards. That's, yeah, you can use the boards for certain things, but let's learn, let's use this as a tool. It's beautiful. Yeah, you know, and I love outdoor soccer, obviously. But if I'm a goalkeeper and I haven't seen the ball in 20 minutes and outdoor, or I'm a goal scorer and I've only seen the ball three or four times in the first half, well, when you're playing indoor soccer, you're constantly making saves. You're, you're constantly shooting on goal. You're con- I mean, if you think about our generation, right, our generation with cell phones, right, everything's quick, fast, right in front of you, then indoor soccer is the perfect sport for, for young players. Take that. Take those those methodologies, how to defend by yourself, how to defend with a pair, how to defend with a group, how to play possession, how to shoot on goal, and then take that back into the outdoor game. I mean, yeah. it's only going to get good. Now, I know some people are going to say this, and it's true, Philip and Paul. There are some players that can translate back and forth. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're too big. Maybe they have some qualities that don't transport back and forth. But I'm a firm believer that if you're a good soccer player, and you understand soccer and you have technique, I don't care if you're playing five aside, 11 aside, beach soccer, futsal. If you're a player, you're a player. Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit something there. As a keeper, I remember playing indoor and uh, back with the Sacramento Knights, you know. the the I was I was in college and went out for a couple tryouts there. And and the the speed and as a keeper to be able to save those shots. I mean, first of all, your fear, you can't have any fear as a keeper in the indoor game. And, you know, I say keepers have a little bit of crazy. Indoor keepers have a lot of crazy, right? And but but to translate that into the outdoor game, to be able to take that, like there's no fear. You can come and you'll be taking any shot anyway. You learn the foot saves, you learn the different saves that, you know, and it's just quick. It's so quick. So those those the the kind of the rebounds, which are so many goals in the outdoor game, those become easier for the for the keeper who has played in that indoor game. And so yeah, I, I totally agree with all that. Um and, uh, you know, but, but we do need to, to kind of wrap it up here. And so, like I said, you know, we always say this, Paul, and I, 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 we don't just say it. It's true. Like we could go on for hours talking about these things, but we will not do that. And we don't do that. But we do ask a couple questions of all our guests. And, and the first question we, we love to hear from our guests on is how have you used the lessons? We talk about how you use the lessons from the game in your role as commissioner. And, and, uh, but we'd love to hear how you're using the lessons from the game and how you have used the lessons from the game in your, in your marriage, your parenting and, in you know, kind of the relationships outside the game. Yes. It, it goes back to goal, being goal orientated and breaking things down and say, okay, I want to go from here to there. And what period of time do I have and how am I going to get there? And that could be being a father, being in a relationship, being an executive in a business. You got to set goals. I think goals are important. And I think we need to teach our children a little bit more about how to set goals early on. 
as I said, what is your role? You know, what is my role as a father? What is my role as a leader in a business? What is my role as a commissioner, right? I'm supposed to bring 14 owners together, 14 coaches, 14 franchise players. Okay. And what are my responsibilities? And I said, there's reward and consequences based upon the decisions that we make. I think if you put all that together and you work hard and you're passionate and, and, and you're good with people, then I think most of the time you're going to be successful. That's what I try to do on a daily basis. Good. Last, last of our consistent questions. And you, you, you got into it earlier about how you started reading and, and that kind of became a, a, a product of, of your, your learning environment. But what have you read, watched, or listened to lately that's kind of helped you with how soccer and leadership kind of combine together? Yeah, you know, I've actually gone back to some old books, the Pat Riley books. I think, you know, Sweat the Details is something that really learned a lot that I needed to go back to. I, I have a book that I would have for each coaching season I had. And in that book, I always kept it in my, my back of my pants. And I had every practice, had every game. It, it, I reviewed myself. I reviewed players, reviewed the game itself. So over them, so on, I go back to those. But really, I've been kind of going back to some of the older books that I've read uh, just recently. When you read and you read motivational books, I know some people pick up a book and go, this is what I'm going to do. And then a year later, they read another book and say, this is what I'm going to do. I, I don't agree with that. I think you take a little, I think you take things out of each book that you think you're going to go because you're not going to be like that. You know, I get some ex-players that called me up and said, Hey, I'm going to be like you coach. It's like, no, don't be like me. You got to be like yourself (laughs) or I'm going to be a player coach. And I say, Oh boy, you know, what, what is the definition of a player coach? Be yourself, keep learning from others, and then you're going to find your pathway. So to answer your question, I've been going back to my library and going through some old stuff, even through my own manuals and how I made adjustments or how I felt about myself. It's been helping me a lot. Yes, that's great. I, I love the idea of, and I'm I'm a I'm a big believer of it too, of reading, reading from other people outside of your own sport. We can learn so much. You know, a, a mentor of mine put in front of me Dan Gable, the great wrestler and great wrestling coach, has some great things about leadership and leading people. And just one example that, you know, but learning from other other coaches. Before we head out of here, I got out of my seat a second ago because I wanted to pull. I've got two full decks of NPSL player cards. You can barely see them in here, but anyway, big fan of the indoor game. I don't even remember where I got these. I think somebody gave them to me, but two full decks of people that you probably know every single player in here or have heard of or them. I know them. maybe 10, huh? <laughs> coached them, yeah. Yeah, it seems like that coached a lot of players. Can I give a, a shout out to, uh, sure. to, to, to our league? We got two divisions, seven in each, 14 teams. You know, we have teams in Mexico, Chihuahua, Monterey. We got, we're all on Twitch. So we went from YouTube to Twitch. So if you're listening to the show, just go to MajorArenaSoccerLeague.com, MASLSoccer.com. You can see all the games live on Twitch. You can go into the chat room, Sports Illustrated, Quintus. We got tons of sponsors and new ones coming. I head to Guadalajara next Tuesday. Could be an announcement coming up. Could have two new teams in the league, but it's a pleasure. Great to be on your show. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, is there any other, does, would it all be at MASL.com if, if players are interested or if coaches want to learn more about the different ways to use the, the game and so on and so forth? Is there a way to, to be able to go there and learn those things? That's great. You can go to MASLsoccer.com. If you're a player that's looking to come into the league, you can click on Combine, which will have a player time. We had 96 players at our first combine last year, had the draft that same weekend, and we got players from the combine that are actually playing in the league right now. We'll have another one in the fall of next year, so go there. We're really pushing coaching education, so we will have indoor soccer coaching education. I don't think in the short term, but in midterm and long term, if you're a futsal player and you like to get some coaching education, you can go to usyouthfutsal.com. There's level one and level two online certification courses that you can take right there. That's great. And, and hey, there too, I, you'd mentioned earlier about ID camps and things like that. Is that all there at U.S. Futsal website as well? Yes. If you, if you have a young player that wants to get involved in international programs, as we said off the air, the younger players went to Buenos Aires, played against River, played, played against Boca Juniors. We went to Lisbon and just played against Benefica and Sporting. Just go to usyouthfutsal.com, click on vacation camps, You'll see where the states are. States go to national, national go to international. One of my players 
on the 2004, actually, a great player, 16-year-old player, just signed a letter of intent to play at Clemson University, which was the national champion about a year ago. Ex-player yeah. mine at that team, Mike Noonan, Louisville Thunder. Wow. Yeah, Noonan. And, and all, along the same lines, while we're, while we're plugging everything, Coach, for those people in communities that want to introduce futsal into their communities, I believe there's also some information on that website as well of how to, to start your own futsal league or something like that. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. If you go to usufutsal.com, you can find everything to start your own club, your tournament, your league academy program. You'll find coaching education. You'll find player development. And one of the most important things also is referee development. And that's what indoor soccer, okay? We think indoor soccer is a great proving ground for young referees for the same reason we said futsal. You, you referee indoor games, think quicker, act quicker, make decisions quicker. When you go back to the outdoor game, you're going to be a better referee, better coach, better player. That's great. Well, great stuff. Coach, I'm going to adopt that from from Paul. Thank you so much for being being a part of this. I appreciate you as as Paul said, you know, the the contribution you've made to the game is is just so so big. And just to hear the humility and the fact that you're a lifelong learner and continually learning and leading, it just it just warms my heart because that's that's as I've said, that's my love language is just being able to impact others to help good things become great. And I know you're doing that. So thank you so much. It's been my honor to be with you, Philip, and you, Paul. And I look forward to maybe doing it again sometime. Uh, we'd love that. Oh, for we sure. We'd love that. And so folks out there, that's a little teaser. You know, Keith just promised to come back at some point in the future. So <laughs> now we're going we're gonna to sign off today. But, you know, folks, just keep, keep learning. Keep learning. Hopefully you're learning from this show. You can learn more about Warrior Way Soccer as well, warriorwaysoccer.com to find out what Paul and Marcy are doing and to keep up with that. And if you want to join them on a trip or other things that they're doing, be part of one of their camps, you can go there and check all that out. Coachingthebiggergame.com. If you want to find out how to be part of that, you can go there to find out what myself and Christian DeVries are doing to help coaches develop in every area, starting with self-leadership. And, you know, most from this show, what we're hoping is you'll take it and, and it'll help you be a better leader, a better, a better parent, a better spouse, a better, a better coach, better in all that you do. And that you continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks.